Hey, good morning. As Matt said, my name is Ryan Dedrick. Um, you know, my wife and I have worked uh, with, with young adults, frankly, um, and they've been in our community here our, uh, since we started going to River Ridge uh, over 10 years ago. <clears throat> and while I must confess to you guys, I, I'm actually no longer actually single, as I said. Um, I'm also not one of those guys who married my date to the junior prom. There's nothing wrong with that. But when Barbara and I met, I was actually in my late 20s, and, and we, we got married while we were still in our late 20s. Um, and after that, our community here um, and our friend circles has continued to include um, some of our single friends here at River Ridge. I'd like to think uh, that I'm in a unique position to continue our series this morning as we talk about living life as single. I hope you'll think the same. I've got to be honest, Matt asked me um, about once a year to come up here. Frankly, he asks me once a year. I think he tries to limit the damage I can do on a Sunday. Um, Matt asked me once a year to come speak, um, and I've done it a number of years. Uh, this morning, I was running into people before first service, and I couldn't even hardly talk to them. I just, my, I'm so nervous about this morning, I think, because so deep in my heart do I see um, where the church and our culture miss talking to singles and, and miss the mark with the message for them. Um, and, and so it's just a burden that I'm carrying with you this morning, so you'll pardon Pardon my nerves and anxiousness is just something that, um, this is a subject that I'm super passionate about, and honestly, my wife is as well, and that's why her and I have uh, frequently found ourselves uh, in community here uh, with, with folks that are single. So, we'll resume this morning, the uh, fourth and final week of Living Life As. Um, you know, this entire series has been built on the idea that our culture has taken what God created and intended, and it has distorted and twisted it, Right? You know, River Ridge is a place for men and women, and for marrieds and for singles. You know, Matt told you in prior weeks that only two of the four messages of this series would be applicable to you, but this morning I will tell you that Matt was wrong. This morning, while we will focus on living life as single, I think you'll find that God has plenty to say to those of you that are married. You know, frankly, if we boil it down, we actually all have singleness in common. You know, even those of us that are married had a season of singleness. None of you were born married, were you? So, I also would like to uh, give a disclaimer and a warning at the beginning of this message is, I'm going to get real, and I want to call this message a PG-13 message, so parental discretion is advised. Before the first service, Matt actually came up to me and he said, you know, in a PG-13 movie, they can say the F word one time. Not going to do that this morning. <laughs> but the content may be a little heavy um, for, for the, for the uh, younger kids if they're in here. You know, as I sat down uh, to think about the single people I know that are my friends and who attend here, uh, my mind panned across many of their situations. And while single folks probably represent half of who's here right now, um, and you have that one thing in common of being unmarried, but man, there are just so many differences. Some of you are simply young, and some are young adults. Uh, some of you guys are middle-aged, and some of you are older. Some of you are single, will never get married. Some of you have already been married. Uh, and some of you are yet to be married for the first time. Some of you are currently in a romantic relationship, and some of you are not. Uh, some of single people here are Jesus followers, and some are here, single, and you haven't decided to follow Christ yet. I was in your shoes, too. I was a single adult um, trying to sneak my way in and out of church and figure this whole thing out. 
Even among our Christian singles, I know that we have a wide and broad spectrum of spiritual maturity and of lifestyles. I know that some of you are content in your singleness, and I know many of you are not. And with so many single friends who helped me prepare for this morning, I think I do know what it's like sometimes. I know the things that married people say to you. They say things like, oh, just be patient. The right person is out there for you, right? Or don't worry, you'll meet the right person when you quit looking. Maybe married people ask constantly, so are you attracted to anybody at work? Have you seen anybody cute at the gym? You attracted anybody at church? Or they constantly try to set you up, right? They're always setting you up on dates. Or worse, they used to set you up all the time. And now it's just hopeless and they don't even try. Maybe they catch you playing with their kids or holding a baby and they say, oh, don't worry, your time will come. Or just wait until you have your own someday. Those encouraging thoughts. You know, married people might even discover how fun, how loving, how mature, how helpful you are, and compliment you by saying something like, I just can't understand why you're still single. You know, honestly, married folks, I'm one of you. Preparing for this message was very convicting. Um, I find myself doing and saying things like that to some of my single friends. You know, we're just not very good at being friends with singles, and it's not totally our fault. There's this tension we live in. We live in a tension within the church, within our workplaces, within our small groups, and within our friend circles. And I think this tension is largely caused by messages of our culture. And this morning, I just pray that God will speak into this space this morning, because his word does talk about what we're talking about this morning. So I invite you to please pray with me as we invite his presence in here. Father, we thank you uh, that you are willing to be here when we gather. We invite you into this place. Uh, you breathe the life that's into the text uh, in the Bible that we're going to study today and look at and pray that through the Holy Spirit you take these words, make them personal for every person here, uh, that the words spoken today are yours and not mine. Lord, I thank you so much that we have this great church, River Ridge, and, and that we have so many loving people here. I pray this morning that uh, you challenge us and humble us and, and open our ears and hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know whether you've noticed it or not, but our culture is kind of obsessed with telling uh, single people what their singleness is for and what their relationships should look like. You know, when I step back and look at it, I actually think there's kind of two major factions. And the first I'll call the get married crowd, right? And this is the crowd that we find in traditional American culture. We find it in and around the church a lot. So the get married crowd, there's just so much pressure, right? There's pressure to date. There's pressure to meet somebody. There's matchmaking. And I frankly don't know why it exists. When you actually step back and think about it, if you look around, marriage is hard, and sometimes it goes sideways and south. Yet somehow we decide we can want to push people into that, not give them wise counsel and tell them they sure need to be cautious. Because we've seen 
the damage that a wrecked relationship can cause on kids and on individuals. We've seen it. You know, if we're honest, I think the get married crowd views singleness as some kind of disease. Something you need to be cured of and from. Um, you know, they think that singleness solely exists as a preparatory phase for marriage. But that's not the only voice speaking in the singleness. There's another crowd, and this is the it's all about you crowd. You find this less at the church, um, and it's often a more subtle, but it's still significant message that's becoming more and more common in our culture. This culture treats dating and sex as something you just use to feel good, right? It claims sex is just about meeting your physical needs, and it doesn't see the point of getting married. Just moving in together is commitment enough, right? The culture values this um, this, this, this selfishness, and in addition to that, it sort of values and promotes this extended adolescence, right? This, this lack of growing up. And it's coupled with this limitless pursuit of career ambition, right? As I, as I looked, preparing for this morning, I looked at what the most popular TV shows are uh, that, that Americans watch. And most of these shows are glorifying these really demanding careers, like NCIS or Grey's Anatomy, careers that require tons of schooling, tons of time, and usually a lifestyle that supports, um, supports that ambition. And if it's not those shows, it's shows like The Voice or American Idol, where we hold up this idea of extreme ambition to lead the celebrity. The characters in all these shows have, have one particular thing in common, is their lives are spiced with sex and sizzle, right? It's a lifestyle, and there's a message that it's all about you. I think what you might find interesting is that God's word speaks into this space. And when it does, with truth and grace, you'll find that it doesn't actually align with either message. You know, he speaks directly to the unmarried. And when he does, uh, he does it in the form of a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. And similar to today, there were different views on how people should be treating their singleness. There were different pressures. In Corinth, you had both Jews and Greeks. And in the first church church in Corinth, you had Jews and Greeks in, in that body. So if you want to follow along in your seat, I encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 on your Bible app. It will also be on the screen here behind me. Um, we'll be beginning in verse 29. I'll give you a second to flip there. So Paul begins in verse 29. He sets up a little context, and he says, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as though they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. See, because our world is temporary and our lives are short, our actions can actually have eternal impact. And Paul writes to this church to try to get them to focus not so much on married and single, but to focus on God's bigger story. He continues on in verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. 
and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world and how she can please her husband. So to you both married and unmarried, I want you to pause and think about the concerns you've had from this past week. Think about the things um, that, were, that were pulling your attention and, and demanding your time. Do you feel Paul's words ring true here? We'll pull a couple things out of the text. Paul asks that we be free from concern and assures us that a married man or a married woman's interests are divided. See, I think what Paul is asking you to do He's asking you to recognize there's a freedom and a simplicity that can be found in being unmarried, right? I want you to recognize the freedom and simplicity that can be found because I believe God has intentionally designed and ordained the unique freedoms of a season of singleness for everyone. I had a brief season. Whether your season is going to be long or short, I want you to recognize and value that you can be free of the concerns that accompany marriage. Perhaps, rather than concerns, your translation says anxieties or demands. And I assure you, being married has its anxieties, its demands, and its concerns. So, I want to share a brief story with you guys. As I sought to prepare for this morning, uh, I reached out to one of my single Christian friends. He goes to church here. Uh, It was late on a Wednesday night. We were at my house. um, And I asked, I said, hey, um, you know, this is, this is what I'm doing. Would you read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 along with me? I'm going to read it to you. Um, will you read it and just pray, see if God has anything in there he wants to reveal to you? Um, and I'd love to get together and discuss it. I'll, I'll do the same and spend some time in it. And, and can we get together on Friday? And it's late Wednesday night. So he leaves. It's bedtime. I go ahead. Uh, head hits the pillow. I'm out. And before I know it, I'm getting shaken by my little second grader because he needs help buttoning his shirt. And he's starting to get dressed for school, right? And so I do a little dad time and start to get him going. And I try to do a little hygiene time, right? But spend half the time in my shower trying to convince my two-year-old to leave the shower curtain alone and get out of the bathroom so I can just take a shower, right? And I get out of the shower and I start trying to iron a shirt for the day. And I'm careful if I step away from the iron because she'll yank it down on her head. So I put it up in a really high place when I'm done. And then I start trying to get dressed. And I'm in the kitchen and I'm trying to convince her, like, sweet girl, you got to go potty. You got to go potty so you can get in the car. We can take Bubba to school. And uh, all the while, uh, Barb's got her own things that she's doing. She's preparing lunches for the kids. And we're packing backpacks and we're getting shoes on. Finally, we get everything kind of ready, stick the kids in the car, button them down. And they're five-point racing harnesses the kids have to wear these days. Um, they're out the door. I'm out the door. Take the trash out. Off to work. I got a five-meeting day, 8 to 5. Um, I blaze out of there right at 5 o'clock to zip home, change out of my work clothes, and into my soccer gear so that I can go coach my little boy's soccer team. We're at soccer from 6. Get home about 7.30. At 7.30, try to get the kids fed, try to get all the soccer gear out of the car, get showers, do homework for the next day. By the time all that's done, we're already completely through the first period of the Caps Lightning game. I'm a big Caps fan. Completely through the first period of the Caps Lightning game. I sit down on the couch, catch the last two periods. Final horn, caps lose, bedtime again. So I wake up the next morning. It looks a lot similar to the morning before it. But I get to work a little bit early. I go to my office, close my door. And for 15 minutes, I sit there and read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which we're reading here today. And I spend three or four minutes in prayer, just hoping God will, will, will speak to me and, and illuminate some things from the text. Uh, go on with my work day and rush out for lunch. 
so that I can meet my single friend. And as he's walking up, I'm literally got my phone out and I'm scrolling through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, just trying to cram for the test, right? One more read quick through. So we go to lunch and I totally play it cool, right? We're sitting there at the table and, and uh, I say, you know, hey, so did you have a chance to, to read what I asked? And he's like, oh, yeah. Um, you know, I got, last night I got home from work like, I don't know, 6, 6.30 and, and 8. And by 7 o'clock I was on the couch and I spent about a half an hour sort of reading and reading through 1 Corinthians 7 and just praying and kind of on and off between the text and prayer. And, you know, God put it on my heart to, to dig a book off the shelf that I'd read a number of years ago on being single. And, uh, and so I pulled that out and I, I just reviewed 30 or 40 pages of that, um, that that I thought really spoke to me at the time. And, and you know, I spent a little, after I did that, I, I prayed just a little more about what God was trying to say and, and read back through the text. So, yeah, I mean, all in all, I only spent about three hours kind of looking at it. It's like, three hours? Like, that's amazing. I'm the one giving the message. It was amazing. I tell you that story for one simple reason. Singles, I just want you to value what you have. My friend chose to use his evening for that. He could have filled it with distractions as well. And when I talk about, please note that I'm saying you can be free from distractions. I realize fully that there's a ton of pressures. There's a ton of things wanting to steal your time and distract you. Fun and ambition, right? Netflix and wine and jazz. Getting your master's degree and progressing in your career. All those things. I just want to caution you to beware of those distractions. That's not what this season is for. Distractions also come in the form of relationships. I know that some of you are on eHarmony or Tinder every day. I know some of you are actually consumed by meeting the opposite sex, or some of you may even be consumed by meeting the same sex. But I want to tell you this morning that even though it's most important to you, a relationship with a guy or a girl is not the most critical relationship in your life. And it is not the relationship that God is most concerned with I hope that's a freeing thought because I want you to recognize what Paul is saying here is recognize the freedom and simplicity that can be found in being unmarried. You can be free for God to use you for his intended purpose. So let's return to the text. We'll pick up in verse 35. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul speaking directly to you and encouraging you in how you should live. You pull it out of the text. He says, for your own good, live in a right way. Not the right way. This isn't about self-righteousness. So live in a right way. I'll tell you one thing this morning of how living in a right way starts. Living in a right way starts with a relationship with Jesus. Matt had an amazing message before communion this morning about who Jesus was. When I was single, I was fortunate enough to have a young couple who poured into me, invited me, called me out of the darkness, frankly, that I was living in as a single person. Between the parties and the drinking and the girls, um, I had a uh, young Christian man look at me at work one day and said, you know you're better than this? Gosh, it was a really interesting way to draw me in to what ultimately became a relationship with Jesus. So I want to tell you to start living in a right way It starts by following Jesus. Once you decide to become a Jesus follower, 
God starts to build something in you. You don't change in a day. You still have habits and thoughts and things of your old life. But God starts to build something in you. God wants to promote in you, when you start deciding to live in a right way, he wants to promote in you a worldview, some habits, and a lifestyle that will honor him. You know, what he builds in you in this time, when you decide to live a right way, will allow you to have long-term spiritual growth. It will allow you to have eternal impact for him. And that's regardless of whether you stay single or get married. There's a time period and a season that you have the opportunity for God to build something in you. I also feel led to tell you that a right way is also a call to purity. So if you turn with me to the previous chapter, in chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, Paul actually just gets done talking about the whole subject of sexual immorality before he gets into this discussion of singleness. So one chapter earlier, beginning in verse 9, Paul writes, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And ain't it true, that was me as a single person. It was all of those things. Right? And that is what some of you were, or maybe still are. But he goes on. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He goes on um, in verse 18 and says, to flee sexual immorality. So often the discussion of purity is about saving yourself for marriage. And that's a great message, and I'm going to touch on that too. But God's way is for you to be sexually pure, period. God expects us, from the moment of our salvation, to move towards purity. For some reason, even after I was saved, I allowed myself to be tempted by titillating movies and websites. Things that I really didn't think should be part of my behavior anymore, but things I would still watch and allow um, to, to entertain me. So warn us, that's not moving towards purity. For you men, I know a big struggle we have is with pornography. It's something we sometimes talk about in church, but the Barna Group did a study of Christian men, and of self-described Christian men, 72% of us view porn from several times a day to a few times a year. Right? This is shocking, but I think it's important to know that there's a real impact to your heart and mind. It creates a real barrier in your growth, in your relationship with God. I want to touch on the other aspect, because it can also affect your relationships. And I know many of you singles will pursue relationships. So I want to tell you just a story of how this played out in my life. So as a single adult, uh, I, I viewed pornography Triple X stuff, I wasn't a Christ follower. My lifestyle looked like somebody who wasn't a Christ follower. It was parties and girls and everything that you see in the movies that what the freedom of being single should look like. When Jesus got a hold of my heart, he began to change some of those behaviors. But I had since met my wife and we were dating. And while I didn't look at hardcore pornography anymore, I still allowed myself to go to websites that I probably shouldn't have been going to. So my wife and I lived in apartments that were right near each other. We could walk to each other's places and 
And uh, one day, we had keys to each other's places. One day, she needed to come over and use my computer. I came home from work, and she was there. What she discovered using, her, using my computer was, in the history, I had been on the website for one of the Hawaiian Tropic Girls. And this may shock you, but the Hawaiian Tropic Girls do not wear a lot of clothes when they're on the internet. So on this social media page, um, I, wa- I, I walk in, and, and my wife, or my girlfriend at the time, she walks over to the computer and pulls up the website. And she says, do you know this girl? To which I respond, no, right? But then she says, were you looking at this website? Well, we had just had high school students staying at our house just a couple of days before, and they'd done some weird things on the computer. And I had this moment where I was really torn. Part of me, was ash- I was ashamed. And, and, but I was a Jesus follower at this point, and the Holy Spirit spoke just loud enough in me to just own it, to sink my pride and look at her and say, yeah, that was me. I went to that website. To which she burst into tears. And through her sobs, she looked at me and said, I don't look like this girl. I didn't know that the images I was viewing actually would hurt somebody. I watched my girlfriend at the time, though, with a broken heart because she's comparing herself to the image that's on the screen, which is probably Photoshopped and not real anyway. Guys, I just want to tell you, I share my story to maybe save you from causing pain in somebody you're going to be in a relationship with in the future. Again, purity is not just about saving yourself from marriage, but if you experience it the way I do, a lack of purity man, it can cause some real hurt. You see, I recognize not all of you will date or marry, but some of you will. And Christian men, let me challenge you this morning. I think you need to be a leader and set limits, in physical limits in your relationships. I don't care if it's your Tinder date or your girlfriend or your fiance, you be a leader in sexual purity. If someday you will marry in Christian marriage, you will be so glad you did. I promise you will have wanted to wait. And you will have wanted to wait for everything. I had several sexual relationships before I met my wife, and I'll be honest, it affected our marriage in significant and in negative ways. We tried to honor God, and we tried to set boundaries in our relationship, but we always found the temptation to bend those rules and to push things further by by God's grace only. We were able to save having sex until we were married. But guys, that did not instantly cure our baggage. We worked for the first several years of our marriage through issues brought on by our sexual past. If you're interested in learning more about Christian dating, there's an amazing series by Andy Stanley at a North Point church called The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. In that, he talks about sexual baggage a little bit. He uses this line that I'll share with you today. Your present decisions become your past that show up again in your future. It happened to me, and if I could save you from it, I will. There's no physical or sexual experience that we had while we were dating or engaged that I was glad after we were married that we had had before we were married. I'd like to flip back to the text. Let's go back to verse 35, because Paul continues to unpack the life of singleness. He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, with this last line saying, an undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul encourages us 
to live an undivided devotion to the Lord, but I want to give you some practical application steps because, frankly, I don't know that I knew what that meant. I don't know that I know what it means today, but I'm going to try to unpack it a little bit for us. See, what is devotion? A practical interpretation might look like this. Devotion to God is loving attention to his word and his work. Loving attention. It's an intentionality. It's a priority. It's your best, not your leftovers. Right? And when you take that attention and you pay it to his word, it looks like maybe this morning. But it can't look like just this morning. It needs to look like a daily interaction between you and God's word. It's alive, and he uses that living word to speak into your situation today. It's amazing that even though Paul didn't have a smartphone 2,000 years ago, human nature hasn't changed, and God hasn't changed. It's amazing how the words penned so long ago can still speak into our, our lives today, and will. Attention to his word and also to his work. Single people, you are a part of our River Ridge family. You have gifts, but I challenge you to understand what those gifts are. Start exercising your ability to serve. You have been planted here for some reason by God. He's brought you here this morning. He's brought you into River Ridge Church. This is a great place to be. But I ask you, can you grow where you've been planted? Can you put yourself out there? Because that's the scary part. I remember coming and going from a church in Texas and wanted to be completely anonymous. I was a single guy. I wasn't walking with the Lord. And even when I decided to follow Jesus, my life pretty much looked the same as it did the day before. I wanted to come and go anonymously, but we want you in our community. You know, it takes us a few minutes sometimes to go get our kids and come back to the lobby. I encourage you this morning, if you're here and you don't know anybody, don't just rush out. Stick around. Someone will introduce themselves. Be a part of our community here. Please put yourself out there and seek community among this church because we want you. I asked my single friend that I went to lunch with if he could sum up, and he's a... um, very mature, uh, single young adult. And I, I said, can you sum up for me, what is your experience in singleness right now? Like, in one sentence, he just shrugged and said, Jesus is my first love. I was like, man, that wasn't me as a single guy. I missed the gift of singleness. I missed it. I wanted to just get through the season as fast as possible. I was girl crazy and a very immature follower of Christ, and I wanted to make that season of singleness as short as possible because I was lonely and I got bitter, right? It's, it's, it's scary sometimes to be single, and it's awkward sometimes. You see, when you put all of this together, Paul tells us that God has ordained a season of singleness for every person on this planet. Right? Singleness does not exist as an extended adolescence. It's not there for pursuit of career or selfish ambition. It's not just a preparatory phase for marriage. Brother, God has designed these unique freedoms of singleness, not for distraction and ambition, but for undivided devotion to him. Single Christians are a gift to this body of believers. And church, let me, let me ask you, do you view singleness as a gift? Or is it some kind of a disease that you stay away from? Is it something you try to cure? I tell you again, I did not treat my singleness as a gift. I think some of you don't either. I was surrounded by distraction and pursuit of relationship. 
At times I was lonely and bitter, and sometimes I was afraid, and I didn't understand this text. You know, Paul encourages us back in verse 17 of chapter 7, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God called him. This is my rule in all churches. I just encourage you to use this gift before you lose this gift. God has uniquely assigned a role for each of us in this body. So you guys, marital status has nothing to do with kingdom significance. God doesn't prefer you to be married over being single. Full life devotion to God, that should be our aim. I didn't see my singleness as a gift, and I had this special couple couple come alongside me and encourage me when I was not a believer and include me. And ultimately, I stuck around church long enough to hear the freeing message of Jesus Christ and accepted him. I challenge you guys to live that way. Please understand God's truth in this and his purpose. I, I ask you to look around in your rows and in your workplaces and in the lobby Figure out how we can be a tighter body, encourage one, one another, whether we're in our season of singleness or we're married. Please pray with me. Father, I know that you work through your word and you work through your people. Lord, I pray that uh, those here who are not saved, who are not justified uh, before you, Lord, would become so by choosing to follow Jesus. And for those of us who are, would look left and right at how to make our community stronger in growth in the things of you. To tear away the distractions, Lord. And help us grow together and grow towards you in love and in unity. I thank you, Lord, for this morning. I pray for these folks as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen.